Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him out to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, 
all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Um, let's pray. Let's pray as we begin. Our Father, we pray that you'd open our eyes now to see, to see your heart. We pray that your heart for us in moments of repentance would, would change our hearts, we ask. Amen. Um, I'd love to start with a, a good question. Um, how do you feel uh, about repentance? And repentance, repenting, that, that moment of coming before God, uh, turning away from sin, confessing and turning back to God. How do you feel about um, repenting? And we do it each week here. We have a moment in the service where we repent. How, how, how do you feel about that? Um, how do you feel about it maybe week by week in your own lives? Uh, and how do you feel also about other people repenting? Um, Imagine a situation, someone, someone comes to, 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 to speak to you, maybe um, a friend from DG, maybe a spouse if you have one, uh, or a Christian friend. They come and they, they, they tell you of a sin that they've been struggling with that they want to let go of, they want to turn away from. How would you feel about that? How do you feel about repenting in yourself and other people? I think this passage is here today to tell us that in those moments, God is absolutely delighted, overflowing with joy in those moments. You get three, three, three stories um, here in this passage. And in each of the three, the kind of God figure is so joyful that he has to throw a party, overflowing joy. Why? Well, because people, lost things, lost things have been found, because people have repented. Check out verse 10. It's the kind of heart of the passage, really. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's the big idea. There is great joy to be experienced in people repenting. There's great joy to be experienced in people um, repenting. Now, why does Jesus need to tell us this? Well, um, it's easy to forget, isn't it? Um, it was easy for the religious leaders in Jesus' day as well. Check out verses 1 and 2 with me. Um, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around uh, to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man uh, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus is hanging out with sinners. Religious leaders are annoyed about that. Um, why is he hanging out with those people who break God's rules and not us? We're desperately trying to keep God's rules. They're saying, and it shows that they've, they've, really, they've really missed God's heart, right? They're very, very interested in keeping God's commands. We've seen that in the last couple of chapters. They keep arguing about Sabbath rules, but they have no interest in the joy of people who have broken God's commands coming back. But they have no interest in the joy of seeing people repent. And they've just missed God's heart. And so Jesus here in this passage, he's trying to show them, and he's trying to show us that there is great 
joy to be experienced in people repenting. Three points we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Repentance brings great joy to God. Uh, Repentance is a relief to some and repentance is repugnant to others. I didn't realise just how much of a tongue twister that would be. Repentance is repugnant to others. And we got there. It's fine. Um, so first one, uh, big, the big idea is this. So the big idea is this. There is great joy to be experienced in people repenting. First point then, that, that repentance brings great joy um, to God. So three, three stories here in this passage. Um, the first two are pretty similar. Um, Jesus is basically saying, look, in everyday situations, in everyday examples, we know there's joy when you find a lost thing, right? Um, so... Uh, Jesus says, imagine, imagine you lose something valuable. So verse uh, four, it's a sheep. In verse eight, it's a coin representing 10% of your savings. Something really, really precious to you and uh, you lose it. What do you do? Well, you look. You don't just sit back, you look. The shepherd uh, goes out to search. The woman sweeps the house and searches diligently. And when you get it back, when you, if you look, 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 and you finally get it back, what happens? You celebrate. You celebrate. Um, in verses seven, uh, sorry, six and nine, there's a, a party is thrown in each of these situations. We know, we know something of that feeling, don't we? You lose something, you find it. Yes! But Jesus is saying that is a tiny, tiny picture of what God feels when people turn back to him. So just glance at verse seven and glance at verse 10 with me. If you have repented... This is what heaven feels about you. Isn't that wonderful? Well, the third story obviously is is where we're going to spend most of our time. It's the most memorable because here it's not a thing that's lost, but uh, a child. Check out verse 11 with me. Jesus uh, continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So, uh, Imagine a scene, a big successful farm, uh, the father sitting uh, there in his office, maybe going through the accounts. There's a knock at the door. He looks up and his eyes light up because his beloved son walks into the room. Son says, Dad, um, when you die, I get a chunk of all of this, right? Yes. I want it now. I'm sick of living here. I'm sick of living with you. I want the money. I'm leaving. Wow. (laughs) Ouch. Obvious point, but when do you normally get your inheritance? When your father dies. So what is, he, what is he saying to his father? I wish you were dead. I want your stuff. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I'm leaving. Now for a moment, just try and if you can, just imagine yourself into the father's shoes there. Imagine what that would feel like as a parent to hear that. Imagine what it would feel like to watch your child heading off up the driveway into a reckless, dangerous lifestyle that you can't help with. Ouch. I had a um, friend of the family 
um, who had a son who had some sort of troubled teenage years. Um, he left the home fairly young, said some horrible things, headed off to a reckless lifestyle. And I remember just how my friend, his father, just longed for him. If I, I, I went for a coffee with my friend once um, and he was, he was under a lot of pressure that week. He was actually speaking at a big conference. And I remember asking him, look, you're under a lot of pressure. What, what can I be praying for you at the moment? And you know, he said, the only thing I ever want people to pray for me is about my son. Despite the kind of painful things that have been said, he, he, he longed, he just longed to have his son back. And again, there's a tidy little picture of what we see of the father in this story. We're going to come back to the son's experience, but just jump to verse 20 with me. Despite how hurtfully, how shamefully the son has acted, what's the father doing? Verse 20, he's, he's, he's waiting, he's looking, he's longing for his son's return. And when he sees his son coming, what does he do? He runs to him. He runs to him and flings his arms around him. Now, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but apparently in the Middle East, this whole parable, it's not called the parable of the prodigal son. Do you know this? It's called the parable of the running father. Because for a patriarch to run in that society was so strange. But the dad doesn't care. He doesn't care about any of those social conventions. He is so, he's like a, like a dam that's pent up, that's burst forward. He runs to his son, flings his arms around him. Son tries to kind of stammer out an apology and he interrupts to throw a party. He's so happy. He's got to invite everyone around and have a party. And he's so happy to have this son back. He's delighted. Now again, that is how God feels when people turn back to him. Is that how you see God? Is that that the picture that you have of God in your mind? You see, the Pharisees, the tragedy, they don't get this. They don't think of God that way. Do do, do we think of God that way? He's, he's He's not reluctant. He's not frowning. He's not waiting to see if we prove ourselves. He's like a dam pent up that bursts forward, ready to fling his arms around us. Repentance brings him great, great joy. Heart-bursting, party-level joy. Repentance brings God great joy. Next point then. Um, Repentance is, is a relief to some. So what, what, let's think about it now from the, 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 the younger son's point of view. Look down at verse uh, 14 with me. He's off in a, a distant country, um, squandering the wealth. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him uh, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, um, what, what, the, what the son is doing here, we might kind of miss this, but culturally, it wasn't just kind of shocking, but it was culturally shameful. Um, so to, 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 in first century Judaism, to lose your family inheritance among the Gentiles was considered a massive, massive shame on your whole family and community. In fact, it was considered so shameful that um, a, a practice developed called uh, the Khazar ceremony. Um, this was a, a ceremony. If somebody did this and then tried to come back into their community, the community would gather at the town gates and smash a pot and shout, cut off, cut off. 
to, to symbolize that this person is, is rejected and, and shamed. It's not in the Bible, but, but, but we have accounts outside the Bible of that happening. Culturally, this is, this is a- absolutely shameful, what this guy's doing. And he seems to, to, to kind of realize something of the shame that's hanging over him here in these verses, right? The, the, the money runs out and he goes from uh, living in hotels uh, to living in hostels to living on the street, feeding the pigs then, cultural equivalent of eating out of bins. Let's get a little picture of sin. Sin is like that, isn't it? It tastes good to begin with, but it turns to, turns to ash in your mouth. And so verse 17, he comes to his senses. He decides to head home and, and, and beg to be a servant. So imagine him there standing up from the gutter and choosing to, to, to head out on that long walk home. Imagine if you would, imagine, imagine watching him walking along the road on the way home. Um, and his, his clothes must have been absolutely stinking. Imagine he must have been dragging his feet. He must have had that, that, that sinking feeling in his stomach. You know when you need to confess to something you really don't want to? He must have been having that sinking feeling in his stomach. He must have been terrified, thinking, like, what is my father going to say to me? Is he going to shout at me? Is he, is he even going to see me? Is he going to cut me off? As he plods along the road, dragging his feet, he hears the sound of footsteps running towards him and looks up and sees his father. And his father flings his arms around him and kisses him. I guess, imagine how that would feel as he leans into his father's arm and all of that fear just melts away. And he knows that his father loves him. And he says, but what about, what about what I've done? I've treated you so shamefully. My son, I've already forgotten it. But I'm such a mess. I love you just as you are. Welcome you just as you are. Imagine how amazing it would feel as, as the father just takes away all of that shame. And what's left is just delight and relief. Now we know, we know from the rest of the Bible that, that that picture of relief is on offer to every one of us because when Jesus died on the cross, he took all the shame that we deserve so that now there's, there's nothing left to pay, nothing left but a, a, a delighted embrace from the Lord. There is great relief. There is great relief in coming to your senses and coming back to the Lord and finding his delighted embrace, falling into his arms. So I just want to say, don't hold back. If there's something you're aware of in your life that you need to turn from, or if you've never turned to the Lord yet, don't, don't hold back. There's a great relief in repentance. And Final, final point then. Um, repentance brings great joy to God. Um, it's a delight to some, but it is, it's repugnant to others. Here we, we, we see the, the focus on the story from the older brother's perspective. Check out verse 25 with me. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field when he came near the house. He heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants uh, and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he said, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. See the contrast there, right, between the older brother's heart and the father's heart. Do you see how different those are? What is it? Why, why is this older brother's attitude so different? Well, I think his attitude, it seems to be totally focused on performance and rewards. Like the way he thinks of his relationship with the father, it's dominated by what he's done. Do you see that? All these years I've been slaving for you and what he deserves. You've never even given me a goat to celebrate. I, I've done X, I deserve Y. That is how he thinks of his father. It's, it's like a slave's mentality. And there's no, there's no joy in that mentality. No joy in his relationship with his father or in his brother coming home. And that, that is just the problem of the Pharisees in verse 2. See, like, like, like this older brother, they're outraged that Jesus is welcoming sinners. Like this older brother, they're proud of their record. But, but that record doesn't seem to bring them any joy. And I suppose enjoyment of God is never on those terms of performance and reward, what I do and what I get from God. And the father's reply is really touching. Notice in verse 31, the kind of tenderness of this. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's, and he's found. He reminds his son, look, we, we never, we, we don't relate on the terms of performance and reward. You're my son. You're my heir. When I'm welcoming your brother, I'm not, I'm not penalising you. And so there's an invitation here to the older brother, an invitation to let go of that attitude and to come and join in the joy of the party. And actually, one thing I noticed really is that in all three of these stories, there's an invitation. Do you notice that? Look in verse six with me. Rejoice with me. And in verse 9, rejoice with me. And then here in this passage, the father going out and pleading with his son. It's the invitation there. We're invited to join in God's joy at people repenting. You've got to, to do that. We need to let, let go of that attitude that's focused. What I do for God, what I deserve from him and embrace, embrace the joy of people repenting. So two questions then for us, I suppose. Two questions by way of application. First one, um, do, you pers- do, you, do you know God's delight in your repentance? When we turn back to him, he, he is delighted. Now, the, the big idea in this passage, I think, is, is conversion, when people come, become Christians. But this dynamic doesn't stop when you've become a Christian. God hasn't changed He is delighted when we turn to him in the small things as well as the big. I don't know about, sometimes, if you're anything like me, sometimes I think that to to please God, I've got to get things right. I've got to do things well. But you do know, don't you, that when you screw up and turn back to him, he is delighted. He is delighted with you in that Do you know his pleasure in your repentance? 
That changes how we think about it, doesn't it? Um, if that's true, I tend to think of repenting as a, a really negative act. You've kind of got to screw up your courage. But in the Bible, it's always a cause for rejoicing. It's a fantastic thing when we repent. Do you know God's pleasure in your repenting? Second, second question of application. Um, do you know God's delight in other people's repenting? Do you know God's delight in other people repenting? First of all, in church. So in our DG groups or in our friendships or in our marriages, when people confess and turn from stuff, that is great. It's not negative. It's not even neutral. It's great. God is delighted when people do that. You know, in the the Oprah show in the 90s, celebrities would come on and confess to whatever nonsense they'd done. And the, uh, the audience would all clap when they confessed. That's a bit lame, maybe, perhaps a bit American. But there's something good about that, isn't there? There's something right about that. It's celebrated. And in the Bible, it is always, always, always celebrated when people confess and repent, because we're all screwing up all the time. And the Lord knows that. But it is wonderful when other people repent. Do you know God's delight in other people repenting in the church? But also, do you know God's delight in people repenting outside of the church, people becoming Christians. See, this is what the Pharisees, what the older brother didn't get, that there is great joy to be experienced in the lost being found, in people coming to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, I tend to think of sharing my faith in terms of duty or responsibility. But here Jesus wants us to know, no, there is great joy to be experienced in people repenting. A joy that reflects God's heart, a a heavenly joy, a joy which lasts forever because it has eternal consequences. It's striking to me. God has an infinite capacity for joy and a whole universe at his disposal. What does he tell us brings him great joy? People repenting. If that can bring God great joy, (laughs) how much more could it bring you and me great joy? So can I ask, of, of, of all the joys in life that you and I pursue each week, is this one of them? Do you pursue the joy of seeing people repent? There is, there is great joy. There is great joy in people repenting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you would use a picture like this, the father in this story, to tell us of yourself. I thank you so much that you're not frowning, that you're not distant, uh, but that, uh, that, that you are waiting with overwhelming love to embrace us when we turn back to you. I thank you so much that that is your heart towards us. And I pray that your heart um, towards repentance would change ours. I pray that we would celebrate it Um, that we would run to you and that we would seek the joy of seeing other people turn back to you as well. Amen.